or heard or preached the scripture this week, now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry. Today is Season 2, Episode 4. This is following the fourth Sunday of Advent, Love Sunday. That so was your... really kind of weird, dude. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and this is going to be our last episode before the holidays. We're going to uh, take a couple weeks off for Christmas and New Year's. So um, don't hold your breath until the next episode. We'll be back in uh, mid to late January. We may get one or more, uh, one or two out between now and then. But uh, this is our last one before Christmas. Yeah, there's just a lot going on. And... Uh... Yeah, I, I can't see Love Sunday without like thinking Love Boat or something, and then just you know the, the Love Boat. That's not even the, close, is it? No, no, you're totally wrong key there. Um, yeah, it's it's so wrong it's not even cheesy, and that's of course what I think of with Love Boat is cheesy. So, what is your sermon title this week, Carissa? I don't have one pegged yet. How about you? I will follow. With what? That's my sermon title. Oh, I get it. I will yeah. follow. I will it... follow you. No, no? Wrong, I, oh. wrong song. Okay. Never think, mind. Think you too. Ah, better. Much better. Yes, yeah. much better. Yeah. Uh, although you, you missed a good opportunity for a pun there. We could have gone into a who's on first routine. <laughs> Me? What? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I do love to employ uh, pop song titles for sermon titles as i am and, painfully aware <laughs> and uh the the challenge with week four of advent is there are far too many pop songs with love in the title so uh, i went for a song from the greatest christian rock band ever you too i would agree with that label yes they they are a great great rock band who happen to all be Christians and put that into their music, which 30 odd years ago, as I was listening to it for the first time, was completely over my head. Right. Uh, that's Yeah, that's what I like about them. The more you dig into it, the more layers you pull back, the more yes, you discover. It, it is much more intelligent and thoughtful. And uh, frankly, they rock out better than all of the self-styled Christian rock bands. Don't get me started. Wait, wait. Do you remember Carmen? Carmen, a friend of ours from seminary? No, no. No, the... The, the opera Carmen? The, no, the cheesy over-the-top... Would you stop talking a second? The cheesy over-the-top Christian pop singer from the 80s. No. Someone brought him up the other day. Oh, my gosh. You, I'm going to find a YouTube link and send it to you because it is the most hilarious like even as a kid in the 80s i would listen to his music or watch his videos and think this dude is a cornball oh wow no it's I, amazing i, I so amazing i avoided the christian rock genre as well as i could and uh uh yeah but hey there's always you too there is always you too so yes, I am I am using that and I am actually delving a little bit into the theological content of the song uh, as it actually really applies well to Advent. Excellent. I like it. I like it. 
So, uh, what's been happening in the world this Christmas tide? Well, well it's not Christmas tide. This Advent time leading up to Christmas tide. Ooh, I had so, a funny I story. Up there. I was uh, out to lunch with some. <laughs> were some were out uh, to lunch. I was I was out to lunch with some of the women from one of our Presbyterian women's circles, and uh, we were in a you know not a fancy restaurant or anything, just a regular restaurant with a decent sized dining room and when we got there there were a couple other tables that had people sitting there including uh, three older gentlemen at a table on the opposite side of the dining room and they were maybe finishing lunch when we were ordering but they sat there lingering over their coffee and their their soft drinks so we were having a nice time at lunch and after we got done eating, our conversation grew a little bit louder, and then someone at the table said something really funny, and I think there were nine of us there that day, and our table just erupted with laughter. We were boisterous. We were feeling the joy that comes a couple days after Joy Sunday of Advent, and... uh, when we started laughing, the three older gentlemen, all of them, their heads snapped and they shot us dirty looks. And then one of them says really loudly, why don't you say it a little louder so the whole restaurant can hear you? And the funny thing was, the dude was wearing green. He could have been Oscar the Grouch. So I had to stifle every urge that I could to to get up and say something, well, something pointed back at him. And uh, I don't know how many of our listeners know, but Carissa, you certainly know, I usually have a snappy comeback. Usually. Usually. <laughs> and uh, I, I really wanted to put the guy in his place, but I decided that, eh, we had just had... Joyce, uh, we had just had, no, actually we were going into joy. We had just had peace. And I thought, you know, this table is joyful. I am going to remain in the joy and not try to put this guy in his place because at the end of it, I might feel smug, but I won't feel joyful. So I decided not to escalate the situation. How magnanimous of you. Yeah, you know, uh, to, to be fair... What I did was not the right thing. I simply chose not to do the wrong thing. And Mm. that's, uh, as I reflected on that, um, I realized what I probably should have done is gone over there and introduced myself and invited them all to Christmas Eve services. Wow, yeah. Uh, Which which in the moment, they probably wouldn't have responded to as well. And and maybe if I had done that, it would have been with the tiniest bit of uh, <laughs> malice in my heart. So, a little passive aggressive there. A little passive aggressive. Uh, it does so smack I, of how I invite in the Jehovah's Witnesses when they show up at my door. <laughs> and and then you uh, and then you preach to them. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't come back for a very long time. <laughs> well played. So, so listeners, you can you can hear some of our um, our own 
Hmm. Shall shall we call ourselves petty? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think you, that's a that's a you, fair. You, you can hear our our mixture of snark and pettiness in all of that. Um, we are far, far, far from perfect, but. Uh, Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somebody wants to go back to church in the sixties. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we you know this goes on in all of us. And uh, in in my sermon last Sunday, I talked about the difference between not doing the wrong thing and actually doing the right thing. And I think that as we look at our texts for this Sunday and we think about the fact that this last Sunday of Advent is love. Love is the theme. Love is more than just not doing the wrong thing. Love is actively seeking to do the right thing. Yeah, and and we also see in these passages that sometimes God calls us even above and beyond what the world might think is the kind thing to do there's the wrong thing there's what is well within your rights there is the kind thing and then there is what god calls us to which is above and beyond and over the top just like god loves us above and beyond and over the top yeah it, it god calls us to do more and god calls us to do something new to be different from the world as it always has been and let me just say that that afternoon at the restaurant I wanted to be in the world as it always has been. I just wanted to do it with a little more panache than the other guy. A little more pizzazz there. A little more pizzazz. A little more pizzazz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's hard. Um, well, then let's look at our texts for today and dive into examples of above and beyond. Do you want to start by reading the Isaiah 7 passage? Absolutely. Our uh, first reading today, and my first reading on Sunday, will be from the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child, and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings are in dread will be deserted. I don't think we've talked yet this Advent about the meaning of the word Emmanuel, have we? I don't know that we have or haven't. It certainly could have come up in our first advent podcast i think that this is a good time to kind of sit with that though because we see in this passage as we talk about doing a new thing going beyond even what looks like the nice thing to do um this passage knowing that what emmanuel means is really important to understanding that in this passage um emmanuel literally means god with us 
Yes, e- even though you were the much better Hebrew student than I, this is so fundamental to yes. <laughs> a Christian student of Hebrew that even I get that Emmanuel mm-hmm. means God with us. Yeah. And so the importance here is not just that there's going to be this magic baby from a virgin, but that the baby is God, that God is going to come down in the frailty of humanity and not just in a a frail human form, but in the frailest of human forms um, to be with us. Right. That God is going to take on all of what it means to be human, that God is going to fully understand our experiences, and that God will be in a direct relationship with us in the flesh. Yeah. God who is not subject to the laws of creation, including time, Mm -hmm. breaks into our time to walk alongside us in history for a human lifetime, and breaks into the constraints of creation and subjects God's self to um, spatial physical limitations as well as those time limitations. It gets really kind of sci-fi, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. (laughs) Um, And I mean, the more you think about that, it kind of makes your brain melt, but it also is just so incredible to think that, We are so beloved that God would do that. Right. And yet again, God differentiates God's self from all of the other gods that were worshipped in that time and place. All of the other gods are transactional. The people need to appease those gods so that they get rain when they need it, but not too much rain. Uh, They need to appease those gods so that the crops grow. They need to appease those gods so that their boats don't sink when they go out to fish. But this god says, you don't need to appease me. You don't need to make ridiculous sacrifices. You will not ever sacrifice your firstborn child to me. You will not uh, sacrifice your own life to me. Uh, in some meaningless gesture to hope to stave off my anger or gain my good fortune. You already have it. I love you so much that I am going to walk with you so that I understand your mortal life better. Yeah, this God is relational rather than transactional. And the other gods, too, if they were ones that had walked the earth, did not do so in as a human they may have appeared to be human but they were right. not and and if you know we we get glimpses of that in greek mythology in particular and when the gods walk the earth in human form they are up to no good they right. are satisfying their own ridiculous appetites and they are starting trojan wars or they are Uh, looking for one more lover or something that is just completely um, using humanity rather than uh, loving humanity. Yeah, I think that's an important part of the Christmas story, the incarnation that we often miss is how very different this is. 
This isn't just any magical baby in a manger. No. This isn't like Hercules being delivered to be cared for by human parents or anything like that. Correct. This is something new and this is something different. And isn't that what your text is all about this week, Carissa? It is. I am primarily using the Matthew text, which is Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And this just sort of like taps up to the beginning of the birth story of Jesus, but doesn't quite release the whole thing until a couple days later as we celebrate um, Christmas Eve. But this is Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's so much going on in this passage. So much. There's two big things I don't want to miss, though. The first is it kind of um, flip-flops the language here, interchanges it, this language of um, being engaged and and being a husband. And um, the, the rules or the traditions or the laws of marriage and engagement were a little bit different back then than they are now. Engagements break off all the time now without any legal drama usually i mean there might be like joint property or something but by way of the relationship itself um but in the day of jesus birth and engagement a betrothal would have been a legal a legally binding relationship one step before marriage so So, yeah not something that is easily broken off and Boy, if you were going to break that engagement at that time, it would have been such a huge public shaming of one party or the other. Yeah, and that party in this case would have been Mary because not too long after that, she would have been showing (laughs) that she was pregnant and everybody would have known why it was broken off. Exactly. It would have been quite the deal. And we often forget... uh, I know we talked about this during our Ten Commandments segment, but we often fail to appreciate how much of an honor culture this was. And if somebody caused you a slight, if somebody dishonored you in some way, that dishonor, that slight, had to be repaid. You needed to take vengeance for the loss of honor that you suffered. And that often had fatal consequences. Mm -hmm. And it had the potential to kick off a cycle of violence that you have 
slighted me or dishonored me, I restore my honor by hurting or killing you, and then someone in your family has to come and kill me, and it doesn't end. Yeah. And it would have been well within Joseph's legal rights to divorce Mary, just, you know, make a big stink out of it, um, accuse her of adultery, but he decides he's going to do this kind of on the down low. Uh, so as to avoid a lot of that drama, he was going to kind of, you know, try to keep things as calm as possible for her before the angel came. So uh, he's actually doing a kindness to her in dismissing her quietly. Yeah, he is, he is setting aside his legal right of vengeance, but that's not exactly doing the right thing. Or it's not exactly doing the thing he is called to do by God. Correct. He, he, is, he is called to do much more than simply let her go without public shame. Yeah. Um, and we're going to sit with that in a, in a minute. The other thing, I just think this is an interesting point that a fellow, a colleague uh, mentioned in a sermon I heard this week as we were doing um, an Advent prayer service together, an ecumenical service, he sat with this idea that right after the angel tells him to name the baby Emmanuel, he turns around and names the baby Jesus. I just think that that's really kind of fascinating, <laughs> which I mean, it that name is a name, a, a name that has meaning um, surrounding salvation and, and God saving us. But it's just really fascinating that those are like right there next to each other. Um, so, so, so the proper name isn't Jesus H Christ. It's, it's Jesus E Christ or Jesus I Christ. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, going back to this idea of there is the wrong thing to do Mm -hmm. the wrong thing. I don't know what the wrong thing to do in this case actually would have been for Joseph. Um, but then there's the right, thing and i mean by right i mean legally right legally justified right um and that would have been to divorce her try to hunt down whoever this other guy was um have have them both stoned for adultery exactly yeah um and then there is what he does is beyond just what is his right but is a kind thing and decides to just let her go quietly. Family can squirrel her away for nine months if they want and, you know, whatever. Oh, we found a baby. But um, but God calls him to go even a step beyond not just what is in his rights, not just what is kind, but what is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. God calls for extravagant kindness on Joseph's part. Yes. Yeah. He calls for above and beyond the call, kindness and compassion. And he calls Joseph to relationship. He does. Yeah. He calls Joseph into relationship with with God, with Mary, with Jesus. Mm hmm. Instead of getting away from what seems to be the problem, God says, 
get even closer to the problem. Yeah, you don't get to just quietly back out of this one. You get to stay right in the middle of it. Right. <laughs> and, Which, you know, think about the implications, too. Now people are talking that Joseph couldn't, you know, like, keep himself away from her bef- until the mar- the wedding, right? <laughs> the, right, 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 right. <laughs> six, seven months after the wedding, she has a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a really great Christmas message. Not just because it's Jesus' birth story. <laughs> That's seemed like a really stupid and obvious statement there. What a great Christmas yeah. story, the birth of Christ. But the the extravagant, ridiculous, crazy kindness of following God's call to care for this woman and this child. Because without him, Mary would have been kind of thrown to the wolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we've talked about that in previous episodes about single women uh, at that time were just not safe. No. And... Uh... And the definition of widows and orphans is uh, a good deal more expansive than then than it is today. Uh, we we think of a you know I I, I was at a luncheon today, um, the home of one of our women from our Wednesday morning Bible study, and she is a widow by our standards, which means that her husband died six, seven years ago, and she has lived by herself since then. Now, she owns property. She has kids. They're grown, and most of them are healthy and successful. But a widow could have been a lot more things in Jesus' time or in ancient Israel. Um, A widow could be a woman who didn't have children. Uh, if, If a woman got married and she and her husband did not produce children. She might have been blamed. And I believe that the husband and the husband's family could send the wife back to the, uh, back to her birth family. Yes. And then they would have to try to either marry her back off or care for her for the rest of her life. Right. But everybody would have assumed not necessarily correctly, that she was incapable of having children. Right. So she would not have been an appealing uh, person to marry off to someone. And so that family would have to care for her and provide for her. And that would have placed an economic burden on the family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... What might this look like today then? Because Christmas is a time where we talk about being nice and people Mm -hmm. are generally kinder and more generous this time of year, more stressed out, more road ragey. Sure. But people are also a little more altruistic this time. Um, We're going to get more donations to the churches this time of, Mm -hmm. you know, this month than any other month of the year usually. Um, YouTube videos all over the place of people giving lots of cash to homeless people. Guys, go pray in a closet. Don't go tell everybody all the nice things you're doing. Um, sorry, that gets me. I, I think we absolutely should take care of homeless people in extravagant and kind ways, but don't YouTube it, dude. Come on. Anyway. So I, I actually used the uh, the viral video of the woman who left snacks and drinks out for the delivery driver. Okay, that was uh, really cute, though. 
that was. And, and she and didn't that, video it on purpose. No, she did not. Uh, and it was something that brought joy to people. But you're right. Some of those videos uh, are more about look at how awesome I am rather than the person being helped. And, you know, certainly my snarky response of, I should have invited those old guys to church. Um, you know, not that I said that, but that was not done out of honest generosity. Um, doing the right thing could be just sharing joy in the holiday season. Um, being part of a group that is singing Christmas carols. That is something that shares and spreads joy all around. Or what about instead of just handing socks or cash to a homeless person, invite them over for dinner? Yeah. Uh, or better yet, uh, use your church's resources and create a community dinner in which you can invite lots of people in and in which your members and any other volunteers who wish serve the needy of the community. Right. Um, yeah. You know what's interesting? Sorry, I thought that was off. Um, you know, one thing that's interesting, um, there are some shelters, food pantries that no longer allow volunteers to come in for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh? Unless they are a longstanding volunteer that is already on the regular rotation. Hmm. Because they have so much trouble with people coming in almost like um, touristy consumer culture-y that that is their, like they're going in for themselves on Mm -hmm. those days to feel better about themselves. And so they they aren't doing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. They're not even just within their legal right to ignore those folks. They're Mm -hmm. doing what looks kind, but they're not doing anything extravagantly kind because they're only giving up one short day to make mm-hmm. themselves feel better. Mm-hmm. I, th- that's interesting, though it strikes me that it's really the responsibility of the people who are running the food pantry or the feeding program or what have you to instruct the volunteers that, um, that this is about more than just... Uh, social social justice tourism well and i think that's that's what they're doing in saying you're welcome to volunteer here if you're going to volunteer regularly yeah i i don't know i i think i think you instruct it and you hope for it and you encourage the volunteers to practice relationship but i i get a little uncomfortable with just stopping the people and uh, deter, you know, the program manager saying, oh, you people have the wrong motives for being here. You know what? Even if they do have some of the wrong motives for being there, I think just creating that space opens up a possibility and it allows for the possibility of the Holy Spirit doing its work in that space. So, yes, the Holy Spirit, I believe, can work in that space. However, I'm also a fan of having policies that don't put you in a place where you have to question people's motives at Mm -hmm. all um, and just say you're welcome to join us to help serve, you know, in January when 
you know, we have it's colder and all of that stuff and then start serving with us regularly. Yeah. You know, I just the the programs that I'm around require enough volunteers that, um, yes, we know that some people go there and don't appreciate uh, appreciate the work on the level that you and I do. But it just sounds almost like we're guilty of doing the same thing in reverse, um, of, of making moral judgments about the people and saying, your motives aren't pure enough to serve here. So I'm wondering if we're in the weeds a bit. I think we are. We're quite in the weeds. So we're looking, we're trying to look at what does extravagant kindness look like? I think Mm -hmm. we've established it doesn't look like serving every once in a while, but that may or may not be a bad thing. Um, It certainly uh, does not look like us taking videos and selfies of ourselves serving people. But what else does extravagant kindness look like? That's the question. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, perhaps because this is Advent uh, and it is the season of watching and waiting, maybe we need to watch for examples of extravagant kindness in the world. And we need to discuss these with our friends and our loved ones and look for ways that we can do likewise and look for ways that we can do more. Absolutely. And not just let it end after Advent. No, this is the this is the practice time, as it were. Practice isn't quite the right concept, but it, it's it's the time for introspection and for uh, looking at what works and what doesn't work as we plan how we will continue to engage in God's call to love all of creation throughout the year. Exactly. Exactly. Advent is a time to, to build in new practices and focus especially on these these topics, but it's not meant to just be our season of niceness. No, we are definitely called to go way beyond being nice. We are to uh, spread the, the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love of this season. Shall I pray us out? Yes. God of grace and mercy, we ask that you send us your Holy Spirit so that we may see and do the right thing. Help us to see beyond our own narrow interests. Open our eyes that we may see, that we may see your face in the faces of everyone we meet, and that we remember that you love all your children. How we respond to them is how we respond to you, O Lord. Help us to see this at all times and in all places and equip us with your spirit to continue this work of love and peace and reconciliation throughout the world. Amen. Amen. Now, may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends, for joining us for our last episode of Soft Idolatry in 2019. We will see you in, well, we will 
we won't see you and we won't hear you. You'll hear us in 2020. And remember, in the meantime, if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. If you'd like to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram or get our show notes um, and also get a link to our Patreon financial support page, you can do that at our website, www.softidolatry.com. Hey, Alan. Oh, no. Don't I get a break? Nope. <laughs> what? What's up, Carissa? What did Santa say to Mrs. Claus when he saw their Christmas tree? I don't know, Carissa. What did Santa say to Mrs. Claus when he saw their Christmas tree? Eh, it looks all right, but you could spruce it up a bit. <laughs> oh, my. That's your Christmas present from me. Okay. <laughs> Can I return it? <laughs> Do you have the receipt? <laughs> I didn't pay much for uh, it in, in the interstitial. Clearly you did not. <laughs> okay. Have a wonderful, merry, and bright Christmas. And uh, we'll catch you in the new year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.